Genesis <coughs> chapter 25 this evening. Genesis chapter 25, and let's read <clears throat> just verse 1, and then we'll open in prayer. It says, Then again Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And let's just commit this time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you <clears throat> that we can gather once again this evening around your word. Lord, we pray that you would bless our time together, that Lord, you would uh, teach us this evening, uh, refresh us through your word, bless us through your word. Lord, may we uh, just see you this evening. Lord, I pray that you would empower me through the spirit and your wisdom and guidance as I speak. And that, Lord, everything I say this evening would be from you. And that, Lord, we would leave knowing that we've been in your presence. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, in chapter <coughs> 24, as we... Uh, saw last week and this morning we saw Isaac and Rebecca get married. We saw them brought together by the providence of God. And that event took place when Isaac was 40 years old. We know that from chapter 25 verse 20. <clears throat> it says, And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebecca to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian, of Pandan Haran, the sister to Laban, the Syrian. And so he's 40 years old when he uh, and Rebecca were married. And after seeing uh, his son Isaac get married, Abraham now lives uh, another 35 years. Yeah, he lives a further 35 years. And almost nothing is recorded about this period of time. Almost nothing is said about these 35 years. We don't read of any more occasions here where God uh, appears to his servant and speaks directly to Abraham. We don't read of any more trials or hardships that come his way. <clears throat> the end of Abraham's life is now mostly silently passed over. Indeed, all that we have is these few verses here giving us a, a brief idea of what happened during these years uh, before we read of his death. And as we conclude Abraham's life this evening, the, the thing that stands out to us here is God's faithfulness to his servant, God's faithfulness in keeping his promises to Abraham. So with that in mind, let's consider uh, the passage before us uh, this evening. We see first of all here Abraham's second wife. Abraham's second wife, as we read there in verse 1, it says, Then again Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Now, as the final section of Abraham's life begins, we learn that he takes another wife, and her name is Keturah. And of course, you could add in there uh, Hagar as well. <coughs> but we're, um, we're told here of Keturah, and it says that she's his wife. And it seems clear that this marriage takes place uh, after Sarah has died and after Isaac is married. Now, there are some who disagree on this point. It seems clear when you read the King James, doesn't it? Because it says, then again, Abraham took a wife. But in the Hebrew, it doesn't actually say then again. Okay? It doesn't actually imply that it's uh, after this. And so there are some who disagree on this point and they believe that Abraham actually married Keturah earlier on while Sarah was still alive and that this record here is actually out of chronological order. And that is possible because the scriptures are like that at times um, where things are put out of chronological order. 
Um, and the reason that people hold to this position is because of the fact that she's called a concubine. Okay, she's called that in verse 6 here of our present passage. <clears throat> it says, uh, but the sons of the concubines. Okay, and so Hagar and Ketura are the concubines mentioned there in verse 6. She's also called a concubine over in First Chronicles. Let's just turn over there. <clears throat> First Chronicles chapter 1. First Chronicles chapter one and verse thirty-two says, "Now these, sorry, now the sons of Keturah, Abraham's concubine, she bears Zimran and Jokshan and uh, uh, Medan and Midian and Ishbak and Shua and the sons of Jokshan, Sheba and Dan." And so, in First Chronicles, in the record there, she's also called a concubine. And so, because of these two passages, um, there are many who believe that um, she was his second wife or his concubine, while Sarah was still alive. Now, while it is true that she's called his concubine in both these passages, it, it seems that this is simply a reference to the fact, well, it seems to me anyway, and to some commentators that agree with me, um, it seems that it's merely a reference to the fact that um, she was not held in the same high esteem as Sarah was. Okay, It's a reference that you know Sarah was his wife, and she didn't hold the same position. Okay? He didn't look upon her as the same. Uh, one commentator wrote this, The fact that Keturah is called a concubine does not necessarily show that she was a contemporary with Sarah, but may be explained on the ground that Abraham did not place her on the same footing as Sarah, his sole wife, the mother of the promised seed. And personally, I find it hard to believe that Keturah would have been contemporary with Sarah. I find it difficult to believe that because... We only have to look at Abraham's reluctance to take Hagar as a concubine. You know, when Sarah requested that of him, we look at his reluctance there at, at doing that and then look at all the problems that came from that, all the contention that happened in the family to realize that this marriage obviously occurs after Sarah is dead. Okay, it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't fit with the word of God because all the problems were called with Ishmael and Hagar. If these six sons were alive then too and this marriage was then too, then it would cause more problems, wouldn't it? Okay, and so to me, it seems very clear that this takes place after Sarah has died and after Isaac is married. It takes place in this 35-year uh, space of time. We're not told anything about this woman other than her name. We're told she's called Keturah, and her name means covered with incense. Uh, but this name offers no clue whatsoever as to who she is or her background, where she come from. But it would seem clear to me and and to many others, that from chapter 24, you know, Abraham spends a lot of time making sure that his son marries a godly woman, not from the Canaanite nations. And so we can assume that Abraham had the same high standards for himself. Okay? He's not just taking a, a Canaanite woman. Okay? That This woman is someone who serves his God as well. And, and we can assume that here, that Keturah does serve God. She does love God. You know, perhaps she was like Hagar, one of his servants. And, you know, we know that his servants serve God. Okay, we saw that with his servant this morning in, in Genesis 24. Okay, we know that his servants, those in his company, they served God. And so perhaps she was one of his servants. But we don't really know much about her. We just know her name. And he takes Keturah as his wife. And from this relationship, we read of six sons being born. Let's just read that. Verse 2, it says, And she bare him... Zimran and Jokshan 
and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. Okay, and it goes on. It says, And Jokshan begat Sheba, and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, and Lutushim, and Lumen, and the sons of Midian, <coughs> Ephah, and Ephur, and Hanok, and Abida, and Eldar. These were the children of Keturah. And so we read the six sons, and we read of their descendants as well. Now, Abraham, of course, by this time, is quite old, isn't he? Okay. Uh, this is around, uh, he's around 140 years old now. Okay, 40 years has passed since Isaac was miraculously conceived. And so he's getting quite old by the time he takes this wife and he has these further six sons. Now we know that before Isaac was conceived, Abraham and Sarah had both passed the age of conceiving, of having children. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans that their bodies were dead. Okay, let's just look at Romans 4. Uh, We've seen this verse before, Romans 4. Romans 4 verse 19 it says and being not weak in faith he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb so Paul tells us that their bodies were dead physically in the sense of having children they were unable to do this anymore and so God had to work a miracle for Abraham and Sarah to conceive he had to renew and regenerate their bodies, didn't he? Okay, to make them new in that sense so they could conceive. And so it seems clear that when God healed Abraham, when he rejuvenated him to be able to have Isaac, it seems clear that it wasn't just for one occasion. Okay, God healed him. Okay, uh, Morris writes this, when God heals, he heals completely, restoring the injured member or diseased organ back to full soundness again. In order to father a son in his old age, Abraham's reproductive system had to be rejuvenated. The 100-year-old man became as a man of 30 or 40 again, in that respect at least. And so we see that he was rejuvenated, he was renewed in this respect, and so now he's able to have these further six sons, okay, even this late in life, okay, because if he's rejuvenated to a place where he's about a 30-year-old man in that sense physically, well, it's more than likely it's more possible that he can have children this late in life, okay, because God rejuvenated him. And so we read of their names here, as I read before, verses 2 to 4. I'm not going to read them again because it won't make any more sense to us. It's just a list of names. Um, but the descendants of all these children are not easily identified, okay? You look at these, these names here and you look in history and we try and source who they are and where they went and who came from them and they're not easily identified, these sons and their children, um, the only one really we can point out and, and know the descendants clearly is Midian. Okay? We know that Midian, his descendants were called the Midianites and they're referred to right throughout the Old Testament. And they're often found allied with the Ishmaelites and with the Moabites and the Amalekites. Uh, they're all, all usually lumped together. Okay? And so really they're the only ones we can identify. The rest of the sons and their descendants, there's some hints, but we're not really clear on who they are. But basically, you look at the, the Arab nations and that's where they are. Okay? You want to find these descendants. Okay? What we do know about these sons that Abraham has is that he sends them away from the land of Canaan. Okay? He sends them away from Canaan, away from Isaac. While he's still alive, he does this. He sends them to the east. Let's just look there in verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> it says, And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac, but under the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, 
Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. And so while he's still, still alive, he, he gives them gifts, it says. And so the idea of that is that he gives them a, a start in life. He probably gave them some flocks each. And then he sends them away to the east. And Ishmael is included in this. Okay, He sends them away to the east, away from where Isaac is dwelling. And the, the bulk of his inheritance is given to Isaac. That's verse 5. Okay, And Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. The bulk of his inheritance, the bulk of everything he has is given to Isaac. Because, of course, he's the promised heir, isn't he? Okay, He's the promised seed. You know, and so all the covenant promises, they belong to Isaac. The land, therefore, belongs to him and his descendants. And so Abraham, Abraham here is very wise, isn't he? Okay, he sends them away from where Isaac is. He sends them away from the land of Canaan so that there's no disagreements, so there's no fighting down the track over the land. So there's no, none of these issues brought to the surface. Abraham makes sure he deals with this, and he deals with it before he's dead. Okay, before he dies... He makes sure that this is dealt with. You know what these sons show us here, these six sons, plus Ishmael, what these show us is that God did indeed keep his promise. See, back in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 4, God had declared that he would be the father of many nations. Just go back there. Genesis 17. We've read this many times. Verse 4, it says, As for me, behold... My covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. God had said he'd be the father of many nations, not just one nation. We always think about the nation of Israel. But Abraham was promised to be the father of many nations, and through these six sons, through Keturah and through Ishmael as well, Abraham did indeed end up being the father of many nations. And so God kept his word, didn't he? God kept his, his promise to him. God is faithful. God keeps his word. And having seen this section, we now see that the very next thing recorded is Abraham's death. And so that's our second point this evening. We see Abraham's death. Verse 7 it says, And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, a hundred, threescore, and fifteen years. And Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Now, following this brief record of Abraham's sons, we now have recorded for us his death. And, you know, the remarkable life of Abraham comes to an end here. And verse 7 and 8, really, if you like, are like his, his obituary. Sort of sum up his life for us. Now, verse 7 records that he was 175 years old when he left this earth, when he died. It says, and these are the days, the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, a hundred, threescore, and fifteen years. Yes, so he's 175. And verse 8 adds to that. It says, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man. He lived a long life. You know, this was yet another promise fulfilled, wasn't it? In Genesis 15, verse 15, God had promised him long life. Just go back there. Genesis 15. <clears throat> Verse 15, it says, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. That was God's promise to Abraham. And so yet again, we see God fulfill his word. Abraham is indeed buried in a good old age. God kept his word as he always does. You know, when Abraham left Haran and traveled uh, to the land of Canaan, he was 75 years old. 
And so now after a hundred years as a pilgrim, a hundred years sojourning in the land of Canaan, God now calls his servant home. A hundred years. Now for all these years, Abraham had walked with God. He had developed a close relationship with God to the point where God calls him his friend. Just go over to Second Chronicles chapter 20 with me. Second Chronicles 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 7, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7, it says, Art not thou our God, who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, and gavest it to, thy, to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? In James chapter 2, it repeats that, that same idea. Abraham, the friend of God. That's a remarkable title, isn't it? Abraham, the friend of God. What an amazing record. And you know, Abraham was by no means perfect, was he? No, he wasn't perfect. He made his fair share of mistakes and we've seen those mistakes in his life but he grew in his faith and like Sarah before him when he died he died in faith not having seen the promises Hebrews 11 tells us that let's just turn over there we read it the other week when we looked at Sarah's death and her burial Hebrews 11 verse 13 Hebrews 11 verse 13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. We have prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and it goes on. It talks about here the fact that he died in faith, not having seen the promises. He died in faith, like Sarah before him. Weasby writes this, he says, Like Sarah before him, Abraham died in faith. For 100 years he had been a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth, seeking a heavenly country, and now his desires were fulfilled. Now he'd lived an amazing life of faith following the lord wherever the lord led him and his eyes were always upon the heavenly that's where he was looking towards he's trusting in the promises of god now of course he'd seen some of the earthly promises fulfilled hadn't he you know he'd seen isaac after all those years of waiting he saw isaac that was the promised seed in his old age he saw that promise fulfilled and he'd seen these other sons come as well which was the fulfillment of the other promises as we saw and so he saw some of these promises, but he never saw all the land in the possession of his children. He never saw these promises fulfilled. He simply trusted in the Lord. He lived by faith, and God had given him a long and prosperous life. Now, Proverbs 16.31 uh, describes Abraham perfectly. Proverbs 16.31, just turn over there. <clears throat> Proverbs 16 and verse 31, it says, The hoary head is a crown of glory, if it be found in the way of righteousness. This is the old age is good. It's a blessing of God if it's been found in the way of righteousness. That sums up Abraham's life, doesn't it? He was a man of righteousness, a man of faith, and his old age was a blessing from God. And then verse 8 goes on to tell us that Abraham died full of years. Let's go back to our passage, Genesis 25. 
in verse 8 there. It says, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years. It says that he died full of years. Now this phrase here suggests to us more than just quantity of time. It's not just repeating again the fact that he died when he was old. It's, it's really talking about the fact that he died full. Okay, full. He, he had quality of life. And some have translated as satisfied with life. You know, Abraham was someone who died satisfied and content with life. Satisfied and content with what God had done, with, with what God had given him. You know, he had lived for God and God had not let him down, had he? God had never once let his servant down. God had blessed him abundantly and as Abraham looked back on his life, there was real joy and there was real contentment. He was full. He was satisfied with what God had done. Now, he didn't look back with regret, did he? He didn't look back with regret, wondering what might have been if he had followed the Lord, if he had obeyed and left Ur of the Chaldees. No, he didn't look back with regret. He obeyed. He went. And so he looked back now with satisfaction. He was full. He could look back now. He could see all the blessings that had flowed from that decision, from that decision to serve God. Of course, there were hard times. Abraham, you know, went through some difficult periods of time in his life. But he wouldn't have traded any of that for what he had now, the blessings of God. You see, God used all of those things to bring him to where he was at the end of his life. And he could look back full, full of years, satisfied. You know, there's a challenge in that for all of us, isn't there? Not to waste the time that God has given us to waste the time that God has given us here on this earth, but to use it for His glory, for Him. So that we might experience the joy and the the contentment that comes from serving Him, keeping our eyes upon Him. Wiesby wrote this, How few people really experience joy and satisfaction when they reach old age. When they look back, it's with regret. When they look ahead, it's with fear. When they look around, it's with complaints. It's true, isn't it? There's not many who look back and look forward with real joy and satisfaction in their old age at what God has done and with the blessings of God in their life. But the reason for that is because they didn't put their eyes upon Him. So we put our eyes upon Him and live for Him first of all, then that's the only way to experience true joy and satisfaction in this life. Now, Paul summed it up well in Philippians 3. Let's turn over there, Philippians 3. Philippians 3 verse 12 it says not as though I had already attained neither were already perfect but I follow after that if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus brethren I count not myself to have apprehended but this one thing I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, we can't change the past. We can't change the past, and so we need to forget those things which are behind and now press forward for the Lord. Press forward with our eyes firmly fixed upon Him, make the most of the time that God has given us here on this earth. Now, as the hymn declares, I wonder, have I done my best for Jesus? That really is the question, isn't it? Have I done my best 
for Jesus. You know, satisfaction and joy is only found in doing our best for him. So that then, you know, when we enter into glory, we might hear him say, well done, that good and faithful servant. You know, that is where true joy and satisfaction is found. You know, Abraham was certainly one of those faithful servants, wasn't he? He was one of those faithful servants. He lived his life for the Lord. He could get the end of his life full, satisfied with life. And now we see the phrase that he was gathered unto his people. Let's go back there, Genesis 25 and verse 8. It says, Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. We read that he was gathered to his people. Now this doesn't mean that he was buried with his people, because the only one buried at that time in the cave at Machpelah was Sarah. And so it's not referring to that. This is the first occurrence of this phrase in the Word of God, and it means to go to the realm of the dead. That's what it's talking about. That he went to the realm of the dead. And the realm of the dead, of course, was divided into two parts. There are those, uh, the, sorry, the, those who were saved, like Abraham, they went to the temporary place of blessing. The unsaved into hell. And Luke 16 gives us a wonderful description of it, doesn't it? Let's go over there, Luke 16. read from verse 19. We know this story well, but let's just read it. Luke 16, verse 19, it says, There was a rich man, which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fed sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died, and he was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried in hell. He lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in his flame. For Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which <clears throat> would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that will come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, my father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, father Abraham, but... If one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now Luke 16, this passage we know well, describing the rich man and Lazarus and where they ended up, and it describes for us these two places separated by a great gulf. And in Luke 16, this temporary place of blessing is called Abraham's bosom. And this is where Abraham went. He went to this place that's called by his name, Abraham's bosom. This is where Abraham and the other Old Testament saints went when they died. And they were here, of course, because Christ hadn't yet died on the cross. Christ hadn't yet died to purchase their redemption. But when he died, Ephesians 4 tells us that he led captivity captive. And that suggests to us that he 
took the spirits of the Old Testament saints to glory with him. And Abraham was one of them. You know, for the believer today, we know that when we die, we go immediately to be in the presence of the Lord, don't we? You know, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8, absent from the body and present with the Lord. And so Abraham, full of life, having a, lived a full life, a life of blessing, he now goes to be with his people, to be with those who've gone before him, to be with Sarah, to be with Adam, to be with Noah, to be with all the other saints. He goes to be with them in this place of blessing in the care of the Lord, waiting until Christ died on the cross to purchase their redemption. And then in verse 9 and 10, we read, we're told briefly sorry, of Abraham's funeral. <clears throat> Let's just read verse 9 and 10. <clears throat> it says there, And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, which is before Mamre. The field which Abraham purchased of the sons of Heth, <clears throat> there was Abraham buried and Sarah, his wife. So very briefly of his funeral. There's no pomp, there's no ceremony here. There's no details, great details about what happens. We're simply told that Isaac and Ishmael bury him together. They do it together. This event seemingly brings them together after all these years. You know, Ishmael had been sent out of the family home when Isaac was three, around about three. And so this is 72 years after that, and now we see these two sons brought together as they bury their father. Wesley notes this, he says, Some distance <clears throat> there had formerly been between Isaac and Ishmael, but it seems either Abraham had himself brought them together while he, while he lived, or at least his death had reconciled them. And so together again after all these years, reconciled, they're talking to each other, they're, they're together and they bury their father in the same cave as Sarah, the cave of Machpelah. And then following this, we're given a very brief section, a very brief statement about Isaac and Ishmael. Verse 11 declares for us God's hand of blessing on Isaac. It says, And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac dwelt by the well, Lahai Roy. And so Isaac, we're told, is blessed. <clears throat> of course, the, the covenant promises that God had made to Abraham, they didn't die with Abraham. They now passed to Isaac. Okay, they're, they're now upon him. It's through him that all these promises would be fulfilled. It's through his descendants. And then in verses 12 to 18, we're told about Ishmael's descendants. Let's just read that, verse 12. It says, These are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's handmaid, bare unto Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names, according to their generations. The firstborn of Ishmael, Nabajoth, and Kedar, and Adbeel, and Mibsham, and Mishma, and Duma, and Massa, Hadar, and Timah, Jetur, Nephish, and Kedemesh, Kedemah, sorry. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their towns, and by their castles, twelve princes according to their nations. And these are the years of the life of Ishmael, a hundred and thirty and seven years. And he gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered unto his people. And they dwelt from Havilah unto Shur, that is before Egypt, as thou goest toward Assyria. And he died in the presence of all his brethren. Told very briefly of Ishmael and his descendants. Now even though Ishmael was not the promised heir, God had still promised to bless him. 
God has still promised to make of him a great nation. In fact, in chapter 17, verse 20, God had said he would have 12 sons. Just go there, chapter 17. Chapter 17 and verse 20. It says, And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he begat and I will make him a great nation. God had said he would have 12 sons. And here in chapter 25, we read of 12 sons. Exactly as God had promised, Ishmael has 12 sons called 12 princes. And of course, they form a great nation, the Ishmaelites. And all of this is the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. Now, God had said that his seed would be as the sand of the sea, as the stars of the heavens. In other words, that they would be without number, and that's exactly what happened, isn't it? Now, God's word proved to be true. And as we look around the world today, we see the many descendants of Abraham, don't we? Now, we look to the Middle East and we see his descendants. We look around the world and we see his descendants. And so the story of Abraham, I mean, really tonight we've just sort of concluded his, his story, haven't we? The story of Abraham teaches us the wonderful truth that God is faithful to keep his word. That's what God does. God keeps his word and God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek after him. Abraham diligently sought after him. Abraham lived for him by faith and God blessed him abundantly. Now may we, like Abraham, set our affection on things above and not on things of the earth. Set our eyes upon the Lord, set our eyes upon His will. And if we do, you know, we can be sure that God won't let us down, will He? God won't let us down. God will be faithful, He will keep us, and He will fulfill His promises to us. And we'll see His hand of blessing upon our lives, and one day we'll be able to stand in His presence knowing that we've done our best for Him. Just as Abraham was able to stand in God's presence and know He'd done His best. For the Lord, let's close in the word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, tonight as we've been able to conclude Abraham and his life. And Lord, we see a man of faith, a man who lived for you before all else. And Lord, you blessed him abundantly, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us likewise, Lord, to set our affections upon things above. Help us to daily walk by faith. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in all that we do. Help us to do our best for you, Lord, we pray. We pray these things in Jesus' name.